0: Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir. Mike Procopio, the head of assistant coach and head of player development for the Dallas Mavericks is our guest today. Uh Mike is someone that I've known for years. Uh he's worked under, you know, with the Boston Celtics. He's uh he's worked with the great Tim Grover. Tim is the guy that really became made Michael Jordan who Michael is. After we used to beat his little skinny ass up with the pistons, he. Uh, what happened is Mike hired Tim Grover to make him strong, and boy, did he do the job! So Tim became very, very famous in the world of training. Uh, you know, had a fabulous gym in Chicago where he would work with guys hoops to gym in the Tech Athletic Center, and, and 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 Tim then worked with you know with Kobe Bryant and stuff like that, and. I think you're going to find from Mike Procopio, It is a guy that has great humility, but he really understands the business and what he does. He has a great system in place for the young players. And if you're into player development, which only every coach in the world should be, men or women, young or old players, you've got to focus on player development. And as he says, the head coach of every team is in charge of player development because you're the ones to distribute minutes. So I think, you know, you're going to, when we get back, you're going to really pick up and see Mike Procopio is just what we said. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software. Fast Draw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy to use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastCout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. Fast model is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of division one college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community for access to these plays and more information, visit fastmodelsports.com or follow them on Twitter at fastmodel. Hey, welcome back to Coaching You, uh, and I'm so excited today. Uh, one of our longtime Coaching You friends. Faculty member, I love to say faculty and Mike Procopio in the same sentence. You never thought you'd be in a faculty of a higher institution like coaching you, huh, Mike?
1: No, I'd probably be in some faculty office getting my, you know, my butt shoot off. Yeah, you know,
0: you know, you've had such an incredible journey uh, in the world of basketball, probably one of the most unique. And, uh, you know, and, and then when we were together a couple of weeks ago in Gainesville, you know for those that you were explaining uh your 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 journey uh, i i think it's i i think it's so unique i mean and I know when you started out in the in the as we all do in this business, none of us ever expect to end up where the hell we get to i mean none of us you know uh but to to think about where you have come and where you started it I know you're having such a great time.
1: Yeah, it's good. It, it is. And, and you know, there are a lot of unique journeys. I think it's tough in this business, especially to really map out and shot it out where what you should be doing and where you should be because everyone's journey is a little bit different and we're all a little bit lucky and when we get to a, a level that we're at, sometimes we are lucky in multiple times and I think, you know, I think you just have to keep your head above water and just keep trying to get better and learn from good people and keep your mouth shut especially when you're young and align yourself with some good people and I think I got lucky enough to do that
0: and 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 you know uh you know for you know th- we have so many listeners Mike uh to our podcast and I know you do great teachings on your webinars with hoops consultants and stuff and trying to help and develop uh aspiring coaches and uh, but, you know, Leo Papil is a dear friend and a, a guy that's so close to you and stuff, and uh, good work. He's one of the most underrated basketball people in our country, I think, and uh, tell me about, you know, how you
1: started out with Leo. Yeah, so I was a scorekeeper when I was from, like, 13... 12 years old to about 18 years old, I was a scorekeeper in this men's league in Revere, which is a suburb of Boston, and... um and I met a referee by the name of Paul Campbell, and he was a, a longtime referee that rest in this league. And, you know, he wasn't big at all. I didn't even know what it was. And I know Leo took his team. Uh, there was a, a camp that I work every year called Championship Basketball School in Buzzards Bay down in Cape, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And uh, Leo would always take his all-star team there, and um, to you know, his, his AAU team, to – you know, to play against the camp All-Stars. At that time, the camp was really good. Like, guys like Billy Curley and a few other Division One players went to the camp. And so I would see this team come in with a Cadillac with, like, eight guys and one cop. And, you know, Leo would come out, and these uh, you'd never seen it before. And half the team was on the Boston team in the Boston Shootout, a long-time uh, tournament that was one of the best tournaments in the country. And, right. you know, you never knew anything about it. And so – all of a sudden I'm working this summer league and, uh, I just struck up a conversation with this referee and he said, yeah, I'm involved with the team. And uh, I, I just wanted to get involved, keep score and, you know, just be courtside for this stuff. And he gave me Leo's number. I called him about 40 times in about <laughs> two day period. I didn't know he had voicemail. So I thought his <laughs> phone number was going right to voicemail. And, um, he finally called me back a couple of days later and uh, I met him at Wonderland Dog Track in Revere, Massachusetts, because we had a, uh, an apartment um, in Revere at the time, and I didn't know. So he uh, picked me up. We went to uh, went to a tournament. He actually gave me one of his cars to pick up a bunch of players and went to a tournament, and that was it. That was 1993, and sort of that's that's sort of how I met him and got to start with him.
0: Okay. Mike, okay, so you have Leo Papil, you're starting out, and now, you know, as you go along, you're starting to work kids out and stuff like that, And, and now, all of a sudden, you know, my dear friend, Tim Grover talk about mm-hmm. who's Michael Jordan's trainer. As I always say, I made Tim a millionaire by <laughs> beating Jordan's ass with the bad boys. No. And, and so, so now talk about, and I think this is where Kevin Eastman, as he always talks about bat you know, never turned down a basketball opportunity and stuff like that. Talk about how you and Tim got to even work out in the same gym, his gym. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, for years I heard about Tim and, and what he did for Michael and, and so sort did of his work, and I always admired his work. He was, you know, just someone that I sort of had the same philosophy of of working with athletes and how he he handled himself and carried himself. And so I worked a, a college. I was at the Celtics at the time, and I worked this college shooting camp with a guy named Dave Hoplo, who is the best shoot instructor in the world and one of my close friends. And so he would work, he would do these satellite camps. He'd do one in Philly and do one in, in Chicago. So he worked out of hoops to gym. So the first year um, we went there and Tim wasn't working because it was a weekend and we saw Tim, he came down and I introduced myself. He wasn't all that interested. And sort of, yeah, you know, he just sort of brushed me off a little bit, which you know, knowing Tim now, I know you know that's that's sort of his style. So I, I always envisioned and trying to help Tim out on the basketball side and, and being one of his main guys. And but I just couldn't get through the front door. So the next year, uh, I worked the camp, and Antoine Walker was having a charity game at the United Center, and Tim's gym was about you know four blocks away from the United Center. So. Uh, during the weekend, we're walking out to break for lunch, and Paul Pierce walks in, who's going to get a workout with Tim, in the weight room. And he asked me, I said, hey, do you want, he goes, can I get a workout? I go, yeah, I'm grabbing lunch. Let me come back. So I, I did that. I come back. I start working out. Paul and uh, Tim was there, and Tim was watching the workout. So we put him through about 45 minutes worth of stuff, and um you know, Tim comes over to me, he goes, well, you know, where are you? What do you, what do you do? And I told him I was with the Celtics and he offered me a job and, you know, and that was my, I mean, that to me was more intriguing than being in the NBA because, you know, I was scouting at the time, which I really enjoyed and really learned a lot, but I really like working with players and making a difference. Cause I think in scouting, you evaluate and you have your opinion, but you can't really communicate with college guys. It's illegal. So trying to help them, I, I, I've always been just wanted someone who wanted to be around players. So I, uh, I talked to Tim and I said, look, let's try to do it uh, where, you know, I work in the summer with you and during the season with the Celtics and see if I can work that out. Mm-hmm. So I got back to Boston and, and I asked Danny Ainge, um, you know, if I can do that. And he was, uh, he was great with it. And I just said, Hey, look, I thought, I think it'd be great for learning and, and being around that. And uh, Danny said he was great with it. And so some- what happened was i you know, just started with Tim that next summer um started on July one and was with him all the way to the end of September until i uh I went back and coincidentally, I never really went back to Boston um because I just sort of went back to Chicago after that so mm. it was pretty interesting,
0: you know um talk about and now as you and tim and and tim then has a relationship with kobe and now mm-hmm. he starts working with kobe uh you know and really the same kind of principle as michael you know they you know this incredible guy that has a desire to be the best and so he goes and says i gotta get the best to be the best and and, and seeks out someone that can make a difference in his life and tim and, and how did that that all relationship really and did you get to tag
1: along a little bit with that? No, I really didn't. Tim was working with Kobe and I you know, I, I never really met Kobe or was around him. I was around him when he was playing for um Sam Ryan's A U out of Philly. Huh. Uh wow. I think he was playing for Phil yeah, with one of our tournaments with Leo, but I never talked to him or, or anything like that. Sure. But I, I always admired his game. Well, Tim was working with them for a while and that New York times article came out with, uh, Daryl Morey, who worked with us in Boston, who was a GM of of Houston and how they sort of prepped for Kobe. And they gave, uh, they gave Shane Battier this sort of statistical analysis of Kobe of how to help stop them. So, um, I, I tell Tim about the article and about six weeks later, um, I get a call from uh, from Tim and say, "Look, Kobe read the article. He, he knows about it. Um, he'd like for you to do some research for him to try to help him out." And I'm like, "Okay." So <laughs> I um I did that. It was uh it was and so I call my friends in, in sort of that were head coaches and assistant coaches and advanced scouts in in the NBA and. And basically, they gave me the same story. They were like, look, we just have to try to – there's no there's no stat that we use that stops Kobe. Kobe's just – you know, you just got to force him in as many tough shots as possible and just sort of get lucky. And I knew if I brought that back to Kobe, that would be it. You know, I spent some I spent some time with Kobe working him out the summer before, and sort of got a, an eye for him. You know, spending a couple hours with him, and I said, if I bring this answer back, it's not going to be good. So what happened was I we had synergy at the time. I um, I researched the last like six or seven games that Houston played Kobe and how they played him, and I basically not only gave him a, a scouting report of how they played him but also some of the things that I thought he wasn't doing enough of to try to get his teammates involved and some of the philosophies that I think that would help as far as spacing Houston's defense out. They had Yao Ming at the time. So basically they funneled him to Yao. They wanted him to take as many contested twos as possible. And he would drive in the lane. And you had Shane that did a great job you know, getting on his hip and, and trying to take options away. And then you had this giant, you know, Yao Ming in the, in the paint. So he was basically forcing shots that I I thought he could have done a little bit better job with space in the floor, using Pau Gasol, spacing his, him out to the elbows when Yao was collapsing in the paint, getting him open shots. And also Trevor Riza, which was open time and time again, especially in that right corner, you know, for open shots and drives. So I gave him this whole report. And coincidentally, I was staying with Kevin McHale at the time, um i spent a week with him when he was at minnesota so i uh, i gave him this report i was telling kevin what i was doing and you know um he goes you think he'll listen i said listen this is the best player in the game it's not like a, you know some scrub asking for it this guy's this guy's a hall of famer and asking my opinion so i'd rather give him my full opinion full truth and what i think could help him so my basic thing was get Yao moving his feet side to side because anything vertically, he's going to stay in, in the game. But if you force him to move side to side, because he didn't have lateral quickness, you know, you could probably help yourself. So it, coincidentally, it was a close play, one of the last plays of the game to seal the game. I think, you know, LA was up by one or two and Yao Ming steps out of the paint and Kobe, instead of trying to pull up in front of him, went side to side, went right to the basket, scored, and that was a game winning shot. And he had like thirty six at the night. And um, you know, Kevin turned to me, he goes, You think you'll ever hear from him again? I said, Probably not. <laughs> so right right after he gets interviewed, um, you know, right after the post game, right at the right in courtside, I get a text from him about thirty or forty seconds later, goes, We have San Antonio tomorrow, I want the same thing. So uh that was four years of doing that. Sort of staying connected to him and trying to tell him the truth. And so he would want scouting reports on every player he faced, every player that got on him, stats on, on their efficiency and non efficiencies. Um, I'm sorry, deficiencies. There's my <laughs> vocabulary there. I um, said Boston in your baby. But a, no <laughs> question. So he wanted all of that. So I gave him a package of about five or six pages with video every game for four years and some of the things that I thought he could do. And then a post game analysis of things, you know, I'm not really a big analytical guy, but I did my best that I could just breaking it down simple on some of the things that, you know, that his opponent that he was guarding liked to do and didn't like to do. And it was, it was every game, every, every, you know, regular season and post-season game for four years, including two championships. So, it was uh, it was really a, a cool experience um, getting to know how a player of that that caliber, sort of how their brain thinks and how, you know, how sort of addicted to getting better that he was. And listen, he didn't listen to everything I said. I mean, there were times we went at it back and forth and, you know, and, and we agreed to disagree on some things, but sure. that's – that's what makes a great competitor, I think, and and it really helped me. It was it was a great experience, and hopefully, I gave him, you know, made him point five percent better, you know, and trying to help him and giving him any edge that he could to try to win as many games as he could.
0: And and he and he won at least one more championship, right?
1: Yeah, he won too, so, two so two championships. Um, the first so, that's year. all those yeah. guys
0: care about is championships. I that's hate to he, say it. That's all they wanted. They're, they're, that's how they're driven. they the best in the world. Are driven like Michael, like Isaiah, uh, Dirk, who you work with now. Those guys mm-hmm. are wired. Your owner, Mark Cuban, they're they they're, they're driven. Second place sucks. You know, they, yeah. they, it's unacceptable to them. I remember when we finally lost to the Bulls after you know, and they broke through. Uh, you know, we were the second best team in the world, even though it was the Eastern Conference Finals. And and when we, the postseason that year, uh, you know, if we had played them in the finals, that's where the two best teams would have been. But Mm -hmm. we're both in the same conference. And and afterwards, I see the effect it took because to a man, every good player in that team, you would have thought we lost 82 games. There was total failure on their part because they didn't win what they had won before so many times. And that, to me, was if I told any team this year, you know, other than Golden State, hey, you know, you can get to the finals right now. You're not win. everyone signs up for it, but not the great teams, you know, and that's that's what makes special. You know, hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting. Industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning and ball healing into one complete workout and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of coaching you for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdish.com basketball.com or follow them on twitter at dr dish b ball so mike as you as you're going along there's so many places that i want to go to just briefly just so our listeners can see this i always talk about uh and I, and our friend kevin eastman does the same thing you know when you're out there and uh, you know, it only takes one person to fall in love with you, right? You know, mm-hmm. that's how I got married. You know, for crying out loud, it just takes one person to love you, and and yeah. so the one person—not that many didn't—but one person fell in love with you because of, frankly, how good you were and what you were doing, and that's Mark Cuban, who I mm-hmm. really value as a guy and a friend and everything, and and, and he says he sets his sights on. He say this guy does something that I've seen better than anyone else. And so how does that relationship start?
1: Um, I got a call from a mutual friend that said that Mark was looking for um, a player development, uh, someone in player development that sort of was a a, sort of not mainstream, someone who really hasn't done it at the NBA level and someone who just sort of has a different aspect to it. So I, I... I've gotten on so many of those phone calls over the years <laughs> yeah. about all, oh, you know, you're going to get hired and this and that. So I sort of dismissed it. And I was like, look, give my information. I'm not really expecting much. <laughs> uh, and then I get a call from Danny Ainge and he's like, look, I think Dallas is interested in hiring you. I said, why, why would you say that? He goes, well, I got a, a call from Donnie Nelson and Rick Carlisle today. I was like, Oh, okay. So he goes, yeah, you might, you know, you might want to get ready for this. And I was like, and again, I'm, just probably my ways i was sort of negative not negative about it but i'm like nah this isn't this isn't gonna happen so okay i'll I'll take calls and so then i got a call from rick Carlisle and rick was like yeah you know i don't think we're gonna do anything this year and it was march at the time it was you know it was the season was almost over so i'm not expecting to do anything like yeah i don't you know i don't know if we're gonna do anything this year or maybe two years down the road but (laughs) just want to talk to you and i'm like i'm all right. So I talked to him and then I got a call from about 10 days later from Donnie Nelson. And was like, look, uh, we'd like to bring you in, but you know, obviously coach Kyle's got to okay. You, so, um, you know, why don't you pack like you're going to be here for four days or four months? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, why not? And I took a flight and, uh, came out here and actually I've never, never looked back. It was, I've been here for probably, I think the start of my fifth year.
0: Mike, what's the best part of your job?
1: The best part of my job is trying to help players that are borderline NBA players and players that have been buried at other spots and trying to find their way. Hmm. You know, Trying to find their way in their niche and in the NBA and how to stay here and, and working with some great people here. Our staff is second to none, and I get a chance to work with a, a sports psychologist named Don Coxstein who really helped me a lot with dealing with players off the court. And, and try and help them not only on it but off of it, and our philosophy here from top to bottom is tell players the truth and cut the bs and, and this is why, this is how you're going to make it, and this is what you need to do, and if you don't want to do it, we 're going to get rid of you and we're very upfront about that with all of our guys, but it's not working with the superstars because I think anyone could really work with the superstar and you know in the sense that those guys are already established on the court you 're not really going to add much value to them. The value you're going to add are the guys who really haven't been able to make it or washed out a couple of places and getting them right back on track. And I think that's my favorite part of the job, especially this time of year where your rosters are expanded to 20 Mm -hmm. and you're trying to help all those, like trying to help from like, if I can get the 12th guy to be our 10th best guy or our 14th best guy to be our 11th best guy, that adds a lot of value to our team. And, you know, it's a team effort here from our head coach down and I'm only part of it. But if we could help that those guys, the Dorian Finney-Smiths and the al Farouk and the Dwight Powells, you know, players that sort of really established themselves in Dallas, I think if we could add value to them, it helps us with, you know, low salary assets that we could keep on our roster for a while and, and really develop them into serviceable NBA players. That's, in my opinion, true player development. It's not... It's not developing the second pick in the draft or the number one pick in the draft into this great player. That those, statistically, those guys are already going to make it. The, the, you know, the, the odds are in their favor. It's the it's the castoffs. It's the lower drafted, undrafted guys, the D league guys that come up for ten days and trying to really help them and streamline it and and really try to put them on a course to be successful.
0: You know, you had so many injuries last year, and you ended up at times literally starting guys that are G League, D League slash players uh, mm-hmm. and literally calling guys out of a bullpen almost on game day. And, you know, and then you become a big part of that because you're the one that's really going to coach them a lot, you know, because they're not Harrison Barnes, they're not Dirk, and and, uh, and they're not, you know, Wes Matthews and stuff. That's where you really, you know, earn your keep, so to speak, right?
1: I mean, play, people in my position correct that when, when you're getting called out of the bullpen down to the eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth guy, the player development system and program caters to those guys, and they cater to one of fifteen, but they cater to those guys a lot more because their routine has to be different, their mentality has to be different, and staying ready, and and that's Don Coxstein and myself do uh, you know a, a lot of work with talking to those guys about being ready because those players are probably going to be, they can go three weeks without getting off the bench and staying ready and focused, getting their routine and keeping them fresh and and not, not just sort of falling into that. Oh, what was me And, and understanding that two or three straight good games, especially at the end of the year could really help them with their contracts going forward into this league. And, yeah I mean our player development program, and I'm never really want to say it's me or whatnot because all all our staff has a a big part of their player development. I'll talk to those guys a lot more than I'll talk to the the high you know the starters and things of that nature, so yeah, trying to get our players ready for situations like that is definitely a big part of the job
0: Mike, I thought you had a great explanation uh at the Florida Clinic about talking about how. You know, because I think you know, and I know we we you know the term "quote unquote" player development is maybe one of the most misused terms uh, in in our business right now. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, I think your philosophy, and I don't want to misstate it, is that what I, I heard was a real emphasis is that you're gonna, you know, you're not putting them through drills that just that you like because you've been doing them for 15 years, you're doing things that Rick Carlisle wants. He's yeah. really in charge of player, quote, skill development with the Mavs. Is that fair? Did I- well,
1: I think every head coach right. from college to the NBA is director of player development because right. they control the minutes. And and that's what you have to understand with the player because a lot of times the player is like, no, I want to do this, I want to do this, I do this in the summer with my guy who works me out. I'm like, look. We have simple principles here. Your position, we need you to do A, B, and C, and that's it. You want to be do D, E, F. That's fine, but you're not doing it here, and it's a fight, Brendan. It's a it's a fight, but you got to get it through their head. Look, you're going to lose this battle because if you do this on the floor with our coach, you're not going to play. So you're not going to play and you're not going to be successful and you can't live a steady diet of trying to do it your way. This is the way we'll do it. Let's get you on the floor. And then once we get you on the floor consistently, if you want to start adding little things to your game and add in more responsibility, that's fine. But getting on the floor, especially on a a, a, a playoff team every year, you're always going to be the fourth or fifth best player on the floor you know you it's not you're not you're not the lebron james of your team anymore and that's usually where you're at in college yeah you're the guy they call they they call 25 plays to you you isolate you're taking every tough shot but at at this level you're usually playing off of three other guys if not four so you need to play out of space and you got to sort of cut and move and take open shots and play defense and be a winning player. And that's – I think you have to – you have to carry the message of the head coach at this job. And whatever the head coach wants, that's what that's what you have to – you have to deliver that to the player.
0: Mike, as, as being uh, in charge of player development as quote-unquote title per se, right. uh, how do you – tell tell me and tell our audience really – the the way you put it together as far as uh, when those players in a normal practice, let's say, do you guys practice at ten or eleven down there? Uh, usually, I mean, normal, normal, 10, normal, normal. ten, okay. ten 30, yeah. yeah, okay. So tell tell uh, our listeners what would be a normal day. Uh, we're not we're not even into the schedule yet. Let's say we're not into games, back to backs, etc. You know, tell tell us uh, when we you know when we're getting ready for the season. Yeah. What, what time you have the guys come in, et cetera, and what players come in and when, and all that stuff. I think it's really uh, important.
1: Well, during the season, you're talking about Brendan.
0: Uh, yeah, or you know, yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: So a regular season, you know, uh, just a regular season with our young, with our developmental players, they'll they'll get in probably two hours before practice. Their first activity starts, so we want them in early. We don't want them in on time. We want them in early to to develop that mindset of being a pro. So. They'll come in two hours before. They'll do their stretching. They'll they'll get at their locker. They'll just sort of get ready for the day. Uh, they'll get on the court. They'll do probably thirty to forty five minutes of shooting. Uh, they'll meet with our training staff to make sure they're fine. You know, they, they check out their bodies if they have to do any treatment. They'll work with their strength our strength coach for a little bit, and then we'll start our pre practice work. And, you know, again, they'll do some more skill work. Um, before practice, they'll practice, get some shots up after practice. And then um, some of them will come back at night and then after, you know, probably seven, eight o'clock at night. And then that's basically a full day for them. And we'll go probably five, six days a week during the season. And, um, we want those guys taking care of their bodies. We communicate with our staff, our medical staff and our training staff, as far as load levels. And we try to, you know, we try to stay on top of that. So they're not doing too much. But well, we want them to get that mindset of being early to everything, meeting with coaches, they'll go over film after practice and they'll they'll work with their coaches and things of that nature. And we want them to make sure they've got everything covered. Their skill development, their strength and conditioning, taking care of injuries, watching film, um obviously going through practice but basically doing everything to keep them prepared and keep them in the league as as long as possible.
0: And a big part of I, what I heard was a strong emphasis on learning to be a pro, especially yes. for the newer guys. And, and I think that is something that is fabulous. You know, and it's a step that's missed, I think, you know, with a lot of clubs. Just yeah, observation, I mean, not being critical of other teams. I'm just saying it's an observation from being with a lot of teams.
1: Yeah, when you develop a when you develop a player, especially a young one, Brendan, this week, you're developing them for yourself, for your team, or for somebody else. So, um, you know, because of trades and, and players, you know, sort of getting moved. So, if you're gonna spend a year or two with a player on the average, uh, you need to develop those traits that are going to make them a professional basketball player. Because if they leave you and they go to another team, that team might not value them as much as you did. So their sort of tryout period isn't going to be as long as you're going to give them. So developing them great practice habits, great time management, you know, professionalism, knowing everybody in the travel party, trying to interact with coaches, accept criticism. All those things are probably most important in developing a pro rather than the skill development on the court because that's going to come within, with repetition. They're going to get some type of better. But if they're not ready psychologically to sort of deal with the stresses of rigors of the NBA and respecting their – not only their veterans, but their staff and everybody around them and taking criticism, very – unless they're a great talent, they're not going to make it – they're going to burn out pretty quickly this week. Uh,
0: Question of interest. Who is the most professional player that you've worked with at – with the Mavs, let's say?
1: Um. They're all pretty good. Yeah. Um. I probably my bias because I spent so much time with him is Dwight Powell, um, from a player answer. from Stanford. We got in the Raymondondo trade, he's been very good for us.
0: Yeah. No. That's yeah. that's a fabulous answer because that's what I wanted. I mean, and this guy, you know, is going to max out who he is, right?
1: Yeah, he works very hard. I mean, every day you, you got to kick him out of the gym. He's there early. He stays late works with our strength coaches, never says no, buys into everything. <laughs> that's, Great kid. No, that, yeah, that's he, awesome. He, he works really hard.
0: All right. And then the last thing, talk about my man, Dirk. Tell me about this young man. <laughs> he used to be young. <laughs> uh, God, yeah, he's good. I mean,
1: Dirk is obviously someone you would say that sort of – He's a, he's just a superstar in every sense of the word. He carries, you know, he, he just sort of carries the, the Dallas Mavericks name great. he were, he the great thing about Dirk that I could take away to any player that's trying to, you know, get to a high level of, of anything they do is his routine never, never changes. It's been the same every, every year since he's been in the league. And he gets his work in, he takes care of his body, he, he tries to get better every day. There's no excuses. He, you know, he's someone who just, who does it the right way. And he's been doing it that way forever, and and that's the thing. And he never loses himself. He never he never strays away from what made him great. And you know, even at the end of his career, he just continues to stay, do the same things. I've only been here five years, but talking to the staff members who've been with him his whole career, it's just he's he's done it the same way every year. He'll try to add something here and there, but the routine stays the same. And I think. Doing that work and all the all the all the hours he spends trying to be great and doing the same thing over and over and over and over again until he gets it is what makes him the player that he is. And obviously, you know, he's had some God given talent. But the the thing about him is he cultivated that talent with having a great work ethic and a great drive to be great. Every everyone talks about wanting to be great, but when you're doing it every day, The way he does it, I think it's a fantastic learning tool from not only players to do it the same way over and over and over and over again and grind it out, but coaches who want to develop good players and great players doing it the same way over and over again and just getting that repetition and correction and taking that correction um, and just handling themselves the right way. I think that's that's sort of monumental in anybody's developmental success. Hey, uh,
0: talk about your draft choice, uh, Dennis Smith. What are your What are your thoughts there? Uh, had a terrific summer, I thought.
1: Yeah, no, he had a, he had a great. You know, he had a great summer for us. And uh, Dennis is a great kid, and getting a chance to know him more and more every day. And you know, he's gonna be he's gonna be a good player because he's got a drive to be good. He works hard, and he's coachable. So you know.
0: Well, Michael, I, I am so proud of you, man. Uh, you know, it's been a long journey uh, for you to get here, but boy, you're making the best of it, and you're with great people down there. With an incredible head coach and friend, and and Rick Carlisle, and Larry Shyatt, and the rest of the guys on the staff. No, and fantastic. that's what it is,
1: Brendan. That's having a great staff and a great organization, and people that just do their job every day and are selfless people. And that, that's what makes it. I, I don't think it's ever one person. I think it's a collection of people that make organizations and players successful. And that I'm very lucky and you know, honored to be able to be a, a maverick and you know, be able to work with some great people. And that's what makes it great.
0: Yeah. Mike, uh, if guys want to follow you uh, both on Twitter and uh, learn more about what you do in your profession and stuff like that, how can they get in touch?
1: Oh, just uh, – www.hoopconsultants.com or at Hoop consultants on the Twitter usually do every couple of weeks I'll do like a coach's chat or whatever and some webinars here and there and trying to help young coaches that's sort of what, what I'm trying to do I, I sort of like trying to give back to as many coaches as I can because we we're all in that seat one time trying to trying to learn and I'll try to give back as much as possible just because I know a lot of people took me under their wing when I was young.
0: Well, you never, you never thought when you were back in Revere that you, you know, keeping score that you were going to be a mentor and a role model for so many. But brother, I'm so proud of you and uh, and all what you're doing, and uh, and, I, and I and I really am really proud of everything you're doing, and continued success to the Mavs and to you, my friend.
1: Thanks, Brandon. I really appreciate you having me on,
0: Michael. Thank you, and yeah. I think I think player development. We emphasize it so much on this, whether it be Joe Bunasar, Chris Oliver, Mike Procopio, any of the people that we have on. It is one of the most important parts of our game. The men's game, the women's game, the high school, the college, the pro player. It's integral. And, uh, you know, how do we make our players better? How do we make them think the game? You know, I think this is a huge part. Speaking about as a coach, you want to make be on top of your game, make sure you go to coachingu.tv for the latest videos. We've got some incredible specials out there now with our videos from previous years. And also make sure you pick up this year all 25, 26 videos from this year's session. Uh, take your game to the next level with coachingu.tv. Uh, this is the coach, Brendan Sir. Till next week, see ya.